Well, Emmanuel, it is good to be back with you um, to sharing God's word. Um, I am very, very thankful that you guys did partner with us for lessons and carols. Um, one of the challenges that we've had is that we've had um, some, some, some funding uh, for, our, for our school program. Um, kind of that funding had dried up. So um, to receive your gift was such a blessing. Uh, it was refreshing for us, very, very helpful, significant, and important. So thank you for um, your gifts, for believing in the work of CPL and helping us um, love those who are sometimes unlovable and um, for showing mercy to those who um, often don't get mercy shown to them. I am so thankful for your pastor. Uh, he's a friend. I want you guys to know he loves y'all. He prays for y'all. Would y'all help me celebrate? Father Aaron. I'm excited to get into the word of God. My prayer is, is that I'm not too long um, today. Um, but if I am, this passage was given to me. Uh, so it's not my fault. Um, what a wonderful reading we heard uh, from Zechariah 7. But I invite you, if you have your Bibles or whatever electronic device you use, I want to invite you to open it up to um, Zechariah 7. Let's talk to our Father. Lord, you told us to be still and know that you are God. God is in these Sunday gatherings as we gather is the people of God. What a time it is for us to be still and to remember that you are God, that you are sovereign, that, that you are in control of all things and you are God and we are not. And God has come before you today. We, we, we don't come as those who have it all together but we come as those who are poor in spirit and our hands and our hearts are outstretched asking Lord that, 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 that you father would feed us, that you, you would nourish us from your word. We ask God that you would meet us in a unique way through the preaching and the proclamation of your word. And I pray father that you would free us from distractions that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And Father, I pray that we would be drawn closer and closer to you. I pray that you would hide me, Father, behind the cross and help me to speak with simplicity, clarity, and power. I ask, Father, that you would breathe on this meager manuscript. And Lord, that you would speak to all of our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It can be somewhat annoying to get the wrong message. It, it can be annoying to totally miss the message. For, for, for instance, my office phone, we, we have a system where if you were to call me, and leave a voice message, it would transcribe your voice message and it would send me an email. 
it, it, it would say something like, Carrie, I'm just balling you today because we have a mutual friend named Porge. And when you get an opportunity, can you ball me again? And then when I call back, may I speak to Forge? Hmm? I'm sorry. Do you mean George? And, and, and sometimes, when, even when I'm out of town, I just recently was on a cruise, and the problem is if you're in the middle of the ocean, you can't get phone calls, and then people call you, and you can't return that call, or you don't know that they're called in. They're all angry and upset, either because they wasn't annoying if we don't get the message. It, it, it actually re reminds me of a story. There was an Oklahoma couple, and they decided that they wanted to take a long weekend away. They wanted to get away from the icky weather and go to Florida, where it was nice and sunny. The, the, this couple worked rigorous hours. The, the wife, she was unable to get off on the Thursday night, but the husband was. So he left a day earlier. And when he, he got there, he arrived at his hotel. He checked in, got into his room. He said, I'm going to send my wife an email. I'm going to let her know I'm checked in, I'm settled, and I can't wait for her to get here. So he pulled together the email. And he, he, he typed it. He sent it. But there was one problem. He left out a letter in her email address. There was another lady in Texas. This lady had just come from a funeral. Her husband was a pastor. And after coming back from the funeral, she decided, I'll sit down, I'll read my email. No family and friends, they sent me notes to encourage me in this season. As she was sitting, reading her emails, that was a thump. She fainted. Her son rushed in, seeing his mom fainted, looked at the computer to see what was she reading. It was the email to my loving wife from your departed husband. Subject, I've arrived. Message, I just arrived. I'm checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing you. I hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It's hot down here. It can be frustrating. It can be frustrating not getting the message. It can be frustrating misunderstanding the message. It can be frustrating receiving the wrong message. Matter of fact, it can be painful. It can be challenging. It can cause some major and minor problems in our lives. If we don't get the message, we misunderstand the message, or we receive the wrong message. And even as I say that, there are some of you, you are already thinking about communication breakdowns that you are experiencing. 
You're thinking at work, you're thinking about the communication breakdown between other employees, the communication breakdown with your boss. Some of you thinking about your argument in your car, the communication breakdown with your husband or with your wife, the communication breakdown with your children. We want to get the message. The subject that is clear in this text today is a question or a statement that we always say when there is communication breakdown. We often say when there's a communication breakdown, we say they are just not getting it. We think of our spouse, they are just not getting it. Our coworker, they are just not getting it. You're talking to the person on customer service. They are just not getting it. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we say, just not getting it. That is the case of Zechariah 17. They're not getting it. They're, they're, they are not getting it. And God has a word for them. Hopefully, this, with this word, they will get it. But not only will they get it, hopefully we will get it. Hopefully we will get the message that God has for them as well as the message that God has for us. So in the time that I have left, we want to talk about why they didn't get it or what was it they didn't get. And hopefully as we look at what they didn't get, hopefully we walk away and we get what they didn't get. And, and the first thing that we actually see that they didn't get was that they didn't get the lesson from the past. The first thing that they did not get, they did not get the lesson from the past. We see that in verse 7. We also see that in verses 11 through 14. King Darius, he's in his fourth year as king. And King Darius in his first year issued a decree that the Jews should rebuild the temple, the temple that was ruined. And we know that the, that the walls of Jerusalem were also ruined. And these physical ruins were symbolic of the ruin that the children of Israel, that they felt within their souls. See, their lives had fallen apart. And the nation of Israel, they were like Humpty Dumpty that had been sitting on the wall and Humpty Dumpty that had a great fall. They had been broken and scattered apart. They had dealt with so much pain and so much loss. But watch this, their pain and their loss was not a result of evil people. That pain and loss was a result of their rebellion and their sin. It was a result of their love for idolatry and self-gratification. They were intoxicated with their own independence and they acted as if they had amnesia towards the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had promised them in Deuteronomy 18, that if you keep all of my commandments, you will be blessed in the city and you'll be blessed in the field. But if you fail to obey my commands, you're going to be cursed in the city and you're going to be cursed in the field. Look, look at what verse 11 says here in the passage. It says, but, but they refused to pay attention and turn and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they may not hear. The people had become stubborn. 
They, they refused to listen to God's commands. They were no longer interested in God's wisdom and his counsel. They only desired to pursue the lust of their flesh and the pride of life. Their ears were stopped and their hearts were hard. The Bible teaches us that God's anger was kindled. He punished them. He, he scattered them. He stripped them. They were sent into exile. To be in exile, it, it means that you were taken away, taken captive, forced to live under the rule and authority of another system. When the children of Israel, when they were taken captive, it was all because they failed to obey God's command. They didn't get it. And, and it blows my mind that they didn't get it. And I, after seeing all that God had done, they still didn't get it. When, when God shows up in Egypt and, and he performs all of these plagues to show that he is greater than the gods of Egypt, they still didn't get it. When, when, when God delivers them and they walk across the Red Sea on dry ground, they still didn't get it. When the armies of Pharaoh drowned, they, they still didn't get it. When God led them in the wilderness by a pillar of fire and a cloud, they, they still didn't get it. When God causes manna to rain down from heaven and water to come from the rock, they, they still didn't get it. And God sets them up as a nation. You would think they would get it. They never got it. You find the nature of this text. It's what God tells them after they are coming out of exile. It's that you're still not getting it. You still haven't learned the lessons of the past. And we know that if we don't learn the lessons of our past, then we will repeat the past. I love what Albert Einstein says. He says, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that caused the problem. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. Listen, he, Albert Einstein said that you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that caused the problem. It, it can be natural for us to find ourselves in a circle of life to find ourselves not going anywhere, repeating the same mistake and repeating the same offenses, and we keep getting the same results because we haven't learned from the lesson of our past. If you are a frequent flyer, you may have been on a plane in the air when word from the watchtower gets to the plane, the plane is flying with passengers, and the message to the pilot is that you are in a holding pattern. And, 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 and the plane that's in the holding pattern, they're in this holding pattern simply because there's some issues on the ground. And unless the issues on the ground are resolved, then you're going to have to stay in this holding pattern until things on the ground get fixed. And the people that's in the air, they keep seeing the same landmarks. They keep seeing the same old things. That, and, and, it, and it feels like they're, they're going in circles. And it's not only that they feel like they're going in circles, they are going in circles. 
because they are in a holding pattern. And they're going to remain in this holding pattern until the things on the ground are fixed, until the things on the ground are resolved. And I believe that that could be the case for us, even as believers, that we may find ourselves in a holding pattern. We may find ourselves going on in this circle of life and not moving forward in the way God would have us to move forward because we still got issues on the ground. We still got lessons that we haven't learned. We keep making the same mistakes. We keep doing the same offenses and our lives continue to go about in a circle because we haven't the lessons from our You know what's so beautiful about the church? It's that, it's that in the church, there are other people who have, who've had to learn the same lessons that we need to learn right now. And we can lean on them and say, how did you learn? What, what did you do? What were the steps that you took? And you know what else is beautiful? Is that you don't have to make the same mistakes that somebody else made because I can sit with them and I can hear their mistakes and I can say, thank you for telling me that because I was just about to do the same thing. Not only do I need to learn the lessons from my own past, but I can learn lessons from your past that will help benefit me and benefit the kingdom of God. They didn't get it. They didn't get the lessons from the past. The second thing that they didn't get is that they didn't get the true meaning or motivation for fasting. They didn't get the true meaning or motivation for fasting. We see that clearly in verses two through six. At, at the end of Zechariah six, we see people are coming from afar to help finish the rebuilding of the temple. We know that the temple is close to being rebuilt because Ezra tells us that the temple is completed by the sixth year of the reign of Darius. And here we also see this delegation from, from, from Bethel that shows up. And, and, and here these two individuals, they, they, they are representatives from, from Bethel. But, but if, if, if we watch what they ask and what they suggest as they want to entreat the favor of the Lord, look what it says in verse 3. They say unto the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? It's almost as if they want some kind of affirmation. It's almost as if they, they are looking to, to, to be celebrated because they have been keeping up with the fast for so many years. However, the words of the prophet does not seem to bring confirmation or celebration. Actually, the words of the prophets, they seem to be bubble busting, jaw dropping. Surprisingly, they are words of conviction. See, see, fasting was a time in which people would, would humble themselves. Sometimes they would lie on the ground. They would cover themselves with, 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 with ashes. They would refrain from food and maybe some social activities and even relationships. 
And it was believed that, that, that if you was to fast, that this would be a way to, that you would capture God's attention so that he would give you what your heart's desire. And it was the thinking that, that surely God would see my sacrifice and he would be moved to grant me my request. But, but, but listen, li listen to what God's word says in verse 5. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, what's it for? These words are not words of celebration. They kind of piercing. God is saying that their sacrifice was selfish. That, that their sacrifice was more like a tension tantrum, focusing more on themselves instead of focusing on the God that they were sacrificing for. They didn't get it. They, they, they didn't get the real motivation. For fasting, fasting shouldn't be about receiving a building. It should be about receiving new walls, restoring dignity, renewing wealth. The fast should be, should be motivation. The motivation for our fast should be that we will draw nearer and closer to God. See, they wanted to get stuff, but they wasn't focused on the stuffer. If you get the stuff there, then you get all of the stuff. See, they were doing a good thing, a righteous thing, but they were doing it with the wrong motives and intention. And it was difficult for them to understand the problem of their path. Wasn't the matter of them losing things. The problem of their past was that their relationship with God was dead. The Jews had gotten so entangled in the blessings of God that they had forgotten the God who blessed them. They were so entangled in stuff that they were fasting for stuff instead of fasting for God. Their priorities had got misaligned. And if you and I, if we are not careful, then our priorities will get out of whack that we too will find ourselves entangled with the blessing and not with the blesser. That we'll find ourselves seeking and searching for stuff and not the stuffer. That we'll be fasting for things and not fasting to draw closer to God that priorities had gotten misaligned. There was a husband and wife that they went to a county fair. While they were there, they encountered a, a pilot who had a small plane that was offering rides, $20 a piece. The couple thought, how can we finesse this situation and get the price a little lower? They said, listen, why don't you charge us $20 for the both of us since we have to cram into this small plane? The pilot said, I'm sorry, I'm unable to do that, but I'll make you a deal. If we go up in the air and you don't say a word, I will refund you your money back. Husband and wife looked at each other. They said, deal. The pilot took off. He did every trick he knew in the book. He whirled. He looped. He flew the plane upside down. 
he did many other things. When he landed, he turned around, looked back at the husband, said, congratulations, here's your money. You didn't say a single word. Husband replied, nope, but you almost got me when my wife fell out. Our priorities can get a little skewed. Our priorities can, can get misaligned. See, for his fasting is not about losing weight. If you, if you just refrain from sin, but you are not spending time with God, that's a diet. That's not fasting. Our, our goal as Christians and our fasting is, is to get closer to God. Our, our goal as Christians, it should be to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. And maybe in this Lent season, you're fasting and you're giving up something. You are refraining for, from food or from some activity or some lifestyle. Make sure that you are spending time with God. Make, 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 make sure that, 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 that your devotion to God increases. And as we spend time with God and as our devotion to God increases, hopefully God will change us. And there'll be transformation in us. Our goal is not to know more, but to know him more. See, they did not get the lessons from their past. They, they, they didn't get the real meaning and motivation for fasting. But lastly, they didn't get that God had a greater expectation. When we read verses 8 through 10, we read God's expectation. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. The Lord has expectations. I got many friends who are farmers. And, and, and my friends who are farmers, they spend an insane amount of time working on their equipment, preparing their ground and planting seeds simply because they are expecting from their hard work. They are expecting to reap a harvest. And I believe what we read in verses 8 through 10, these are the fruits that come from a devoted life. These are the fruits that come from spending time with God. These are fruits that come from real sincere fasting. And since fasting draws us closer to God, that, 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 means that we should have desires after God. And since fasting draws us closer to God, that means that we should look more like God in our action. And it means that we should care about the things that God cares about. 
And, and, and what the Lord gives us in, this, in these verses is he gives us these, these categories and, and these lists of things that, that we should care about, that, that should be active and visible in our lives. And it should be a public display before the world. He says, one, real, true judgment, a real, true justice. The, the word for justice here is one that is somewhat complex. It is a word that is related to righteousness. One way for us to think about this concept of justice here, it is simply to make all things right. In the Bible days, they, they had judges, but judges were not only assigned to administer wrath to criminals who have committed some kind of crime, but ultimately judges had the responsibility to ensure that the voiceless had a voice, that the powerless had support, that the poor was cared for, that nobody was kicked down and pressed out. The idea of justice here, it speaks to bringing shalom and orderliness to humans and creation. This was also the work of Jesus. We see that in, in the prophecy in Isaiah 52 and 53. We see this when Jesus stands up in the temple and, and, and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Family, it is the work and the call of all believers to bring order to chaos, to bring right where there's wrong, to bring salt where there's bitterness, to bring light where there is dark, to make all things right. Hear what you're saying? That is too overwhelming. Yes, it is overwhelming. And we should feel that kind of burden. We should feel that, that, that kind of overwhelmingness. The world is broken. And it should cause us to mourn. It should cause us to lament. It should be a reason why we fast. How do you think Jesus felt? When he was there outside of Lazarus' tomb, people were crying and weeping. And the manifestation of death was on display. And the shortest verse in all of the Bible shows our Lord who's overwhelmed by the problem of man. Weeps. Do we cry? Do we shed tears for injustice? Or do we somehow dismiss it because it feels like it's too much to bear? God always wants to do a supernatural exchange in our lives. He wants us to give him our birth. He wants to give us his birth. His burden is that we would make all things right. Second thing he shows us here is that we should have mercy toward one another. 
In Hebrew, this word mercy is God's covenant term of faithful love. It's faithful love. It is a loyal love. He's saying that we should have this faithful, loyal, unconditional kind of love for each other. So often we may be guilty of lusting each other and not loving each other. And let me give you this acronym for lust. It is love under selfish terms. That, 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 we, that I can love you as long as you do for me, as long as you don't upset me, as long as you don't harm me. But our love needs to be loyal to one another like God's love is loyal to us. He says, you got to have mercy towards each other. Number three, he shows us here in this list. He says, we should not oppress, push down, squash the widow, the fatherless, the refugee, or the poor. These are all individuals that were marginalized in their society. They are marginalized in our society. The reason why these individuals can be pushed down and squashed and oppressed because we can't have a transactional relationship with them. This is what James talks about when he talks about the sin of favoritism. We give attention to those we assume we will receive a return on our relationship investment. And we ignore those who appear to only be takers and not givers or participators in this relationship. That's why the sin of favoritism is such a horrible sin. The reason why it is such a horrible sin is because it ignores the gospel. When we as believers commit the sin of favoritism, we are forgetting that we have nothing, nothing to offer God. that there's no one that's good, that all have turned away. And we, we, we have nothing to offer him. And he has absolutely everything to offer us, those of us totally depraved, wretched. And yet the God of justice, he comes into our life and makes everything all right. This God who is faithful in love, he has this loyal love. He loves us. The poor, the wretch, the oppressed, he expects for us to love. Not to oppress, but to build up. Lastly, he shares that we should not devise evil against one another. It is not our responsibility to fight hate with hate, but we fight hate with love. We, we don't seek vengeance. We, we seek blessings. We pray for our enemies, for those who persecute us. We want God's black things for them. When we look at Zechariah 7, the word of the Lord through the mouth of the prophet, Simply, they didn't get, they didn't get the lesson from the past. They didn't get the real meaning and the motivation fasting. They, they didn't get that, that God has a greater expectation that they would be the light of the world. 
that they that, that, that they would be that be the image bearers of God for people they did. And if we are honest, it's hard to get it. It seems as if the Jews struggled with being stuck. I think this is the beauty of a gospel. It's that Jesus came to set us free, to ensure that we have supernatural help, that we are not stuck. It was downtown, a large high-rise building, and they were stuck in the elevator. People were crying, help, help, help. They were crying, but no one could hear their cries. There were people that were begging, bam, bam, bam. That was no calm person in the elevator. They were desperate, and desperate people do desperate things. And one guy, he said that he instantly had an idea. He walked over, lifted the latch, grabbed the phone, held it to his ear. There was a voice that came on the other line. Hello, may I help you? He says, we're in the elevator. We're stuck between this floor and that floor. Can you send help? Person on the elevator, elevate, person on the other line said, we'll be there right away. Everybody on the elevator, they, they were so focused on being stuck that they were using all of their human energy and human effort to get out of the situation where all the time there was a, a system, a mechanism that was right there in place. And all they had to do was to pick up the phone and talk to the person who could actually help them. And sometimes as believers, we find ourselves stuck between this place and that place. And we are trying every human effort that we can to get ourselves free, to move on, to, to go forward. But can I tell you that God has a system? That, that, that God has a system where, where we can contact him, where we can connect with him, where we can get drawn closer to him, where we can get supernatural help. Maybe in this Lenten season, you also feel like you are stuck. And you're tired of being stuck. You're, you're tired of being in this, this holding pattern. You realize, too, that your priorities have been out of line and you don't seem like you've learned the lessons of the past. You just, you pick up the Holy Father. You speak to the Holy God. You say, God, I need help. I need to get closer to you. This is a season of look to Orient and dialing and get closer to our Father, to our God. Amen. Lord, forgive us because at times we 
feel as if we're stuck and we feel like we're all by ourselves. But God, you are just a call away. Help us, God, to press in to you. Help us to learn the lessons that we need to learn. Help us to do the disciplines that you've given us to do. Help us to understand that you've given us an incredible opportunity, a wonderful privilege to know you, to be drawn closer to you, to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And that we may serve you, that we may live out the expectations that you have for us, your servant. Lord, help us to get it. We pray this in Jesus' name.